You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Gobbler Country's Talking Turkey. This is John Schneider with your co-host, Brian Manning. Hey, Brian, how you doing? I'm good, John. How about you? It's going to be a fun one tonight. It's going to be a fun game to talk about. Yeah, it certainly is, because it was wild. Although, being in the press box, I know I know you, met, you, you had commitments, business commitments that you had to take care of, but being in the press box, it was a tomb, and there were a lot of people up there who were hokey fans who were just bleeding from the lips. It was hard. <laughs> Everybody wanted to jump around to Sandman at the end of the game, and we couldn't do that. When I watched, got to watch it, I was like, uh, I was more than once just throwing things like, I'm, I'm done, I can't watch anymore, I can't, I can't stand losing to North Carolina in any sport, and uh, so many near misses there, and the field goal misses were just gutting, and I... I knew for sure that when their kicker Ruggles went up, he's got it. He's a pretty decent kicker, better kicker than what we have. And yeah, I thought we, were, I thought we were toast. And and then the first one, he he missed it, and it's like the press box. You could hear everybody bite something. Of course, the Carolina guys that were up in the press box were like banging their heads on the table, but all the hokey people up there were like bleeding from the lips. <laughs> it was like. I can't cheer. I can't do anything. <laughs> I can only imagine. And, and you know, and, and the big thing was, I think the wind did play a big factor in the final kicks because it did pick up. It was starting to gust because it was starting to rain, and there was actually later on a thunderstorm that kind of rumbled through. We don't. We don't want to give North Carolina reasons for losing. We know how that goes. Remember, hear about yeah, what it, years it ago. It comes back to bite you. Yeah, it comes back to bite you. They, they're still talking about when we beat them thirty-four to three. Yeah. They blame the weather. When you beat someone by thirty-one points, I think the it weather the out the window. <laughs> it is not the weather. So what we've got is uh, the game. Uh, I was looking at the stats. Let's just take a look at this. This is the longest game in ACC history. It started at, the kickoff was at 3.35 p.m., and the end of the game was 7.41 p.m. That was four hours and six minutes. So that was the longest game in, and it's the first game under the new rules of the NCAA's overtime. And what's really interesting about that and something that not everybody understands how to deal with it, I don't even think anybody knows how to talk about it because it's been a topic of conversation back and forth 
on the website as far as on Facebook and the guys punting it back and forth on everybody wants to call this six overtimes. Well, it really isn't six overtimes. According to the NCAA, it's five overtimes with two possessions because they end the overtimes at five period. There's no more overtime periods at four. And if the fifth period is a completely different kind of overtime that does not end until a different, you know, it's, it's like a tiebreaker in tennis. I think the new rule is a terrible rule. I, I just think you get one play and then the other team, I just think it's a terrible rule. I think I wasn't a big fan of the 25 yard line rule. I like the rule. Everybody gets a possession that you're, you know, I wish you would start it back around the 40 because you need to make teams drive a little bit, but it is what it is. That's the rule. I can accept it. I yeah, don't see. I, I was always a fan of you put the ball at the 50 yard line. Yeah, that would be fine. The first That's- possession. You need to because make, you need to be out of field goal range. You can't just automatically get to kick a field goal. You actually have to play football. It's easy to move the ball in college football for the most part. And I think you need to make teams drive for it. But this is the rule we have. I can accept that it. it is what it is. Yeah. But the better rule would be and that once you get to overtime, everybody goes for two starting the first overtime. That'll change things in a hurry. Yeah. First overtime, you drive from the 50. Yeah, you, you get to move kick, it in. Yeah, single, you get to kick a pat on that one. The second overtime, you drive from the 40, and then you have to get a two. And that would probably cure most overtimes right there. Of course, what the NCAA is going to say is, how many times do we see six overtimes anyway? And, and they're right, but you see plenty of three and four, two, three, and four. And if I was a fan of a of just a South Carolina, say, playing whoever state, and I got to see six overtimes, that would be okay to watch. But as a fan of the team, it's just drains you. It, yeah, it's a it's a tough one. But when you win, it's all's forgotten. You just remember how exciting it was. Well, that's a kind of what I said at the you know, and the wrap up. We were talking about this in prep for the show. I was writing because we always start the wrap up before the end of the game so that you've got something prepared because we have a contractual obligation to post within I think it's an hour or something like that. We got to post a final game wrap up. It doesn't have to be detailed, but a general, here's the score. It's generally what happened. So I'm typing away and I'm thinking I'm finished. And I think we're going to get zorched by, you know, one touchdown and oh, poo. And then boom, <laughs> touchdown. And I'm like, oh my God, it's tied. <laughs> so then I had to back up and change that paragraph. And then I'm typing and I'm waiting for this to happen. And then, and then we stall out and it goes into overtime. So now the first overtime, the touchdown, you know, North Carolina scores a touchdown and I'm like, oh no, this isn't going to work. They they scored a touchdown. How are we going to, and then it got down to fourth down and like, what was it like four or five, something like that. Yeah. We would have had a first down. A lot of people forget because of the penalty, we would have gotten the first down anyway when we had more plays, but who would have thought that, that now they ran that play twice before in the game, and one time it worked and one time it didn't, and people don't notice the fact that it worked. But this time it was on a dime with a beautiful one-handed catch by Hazleton. And, of course, the crowd went absolutely bananas. And Johnson nailed the pat, so we tied it up again. And then the two overtimes, Khalil Ladler was amazing. And, and, and that'll be that'll be our second segment. You know, we're just talking about the general excitement. The second segment, we can talk about a little bit about breaking down, noting some players that really need to be mentioned because they were absolutely outstanding in the game. And even though there was a lot of yardage given up and everything else, it was a surprisingly even game. 
when you win a game like this, there's not one or two heroes. I mean, I won't spoil anything for the next segment, but I've got I've got a lot of guys here I want to talk about and give praise to because it if there's a total team win, this was it. Yeah, this this is, and that's why I want to spend just an entire segment just talking about some special players and what they did in total because this was a team win. This was absolutely and positively a team win. So let's just go over it real quick before we go to the break. It was 43-41 at the end of the fifth overtime period, second possession. Yes, everybody's saying it's six overtimes. But one pair of possessions doesn't equal an overtime. You know, it's not the same as an overtime period. It's a different. You have that single overtime period at the end of the game where now they're they're challenging you to go for two points. It's one play, one play, one play, one play. So, you know, at some point somebody's got to come up with the terminology. And and like I was telling one of our readers, I guess somebody came up with the fact that they wanted to call a Frankfurter a hot dog in World War One because the Frankfurter was German. And they had Liberty fries and Liberty Liberty's cabbage and stuff instead of sauerkraut and uh, Frankfurters. So somebody called it a hot dog. The media loves to talk about overtime. I'm not a big fan of suboptimal outcomes. And to me, a tie is always a suboptimal outcome. So we're going to go on our break here in a second. But remember this. There were 65,632 people in the stadium a bunch of them were wearing Carolina blue. My wife was sitting in the Carolina section. Her ticket came up in the Carolina section, and she stayed for every minute of the game. And that was the way it was. When my wife stays for every second of the game, it was an exciting game. All right, we're going to be back after this commercial break, and I'm going to turn it over to Brian, and we're going to talk, and he's going to lead the discussion on the players and who he wants to note. Welcome back here to the segment number two as we continue to wrap up the Hokies 43-41 multi-overtime thrilling win over the UNC Tar Heels at Laney Stadium on Saturday afternoon. Before we delve into the individual performances, I want to note the crowd performance because we we are all used to Lane Stadium being one of the best home field advantages in college football. That's kind of went away in recent years. Teams don't fear us anymore, and I'm not sure they fear us now. However, that crowd on Saturday was raucous. It was rocking. Everybody stayed. It was loud. I even saw a picture where one of the benches was bent, where they were jumping up and down. I mean, that's awesome stuff. And we need to see more of that moving forward. Yeah, that is. I mean, it was amazing to look across the East stands and in the South stands, and there were still people in maroon up in the stands. And of course, it was really interesting to see the Carolina folks, of course, they've had a long way to drive, most of them, leaving the stadium after the, like, after the second or third overtime, they started to file out. Well, let's be honest, John, most Carolina and Duke fans are bandwagon fans anyway. I don't mean the people who graduated from those institutions. I mean, when you see somebody wearing a, when you're in the convenience store in New River Valley and you see a guy wearing a, Duke or UNC had. He's a bandwagon guy anyway. So that's yeah, what usually basketball. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's go to let's go to the players. You said you had a list of players you wanted to talk about. Yeah, let's start out with Hendon Hooker. He he got another start. Was outstanding. Unfortunately, he got hurt. And I'm gonna admit when he got hurt, I was pretty nervous because and I more nervous than just I felt bad for the kid because I know he's worked for this opportunity. He's a good kid. And he's he's got the potential to be a really good quarterback. And 
when he got hurt, I was like, we don't have any chance with Willis coming to the game. No offense to Willis. We got no, we got Willis coming to the game. We have no chance to win this game. But Hooker was out, Hooker was outstanding. And in just the half he played, 41 yards rushing, 127 yards on 67% completion, one touchdown. Again, no interceptions, 55-yard long completion. He, do, he did drop another snap. If I'm going to knock Hooker well, the sna- If you look at the replay, the snap was off. The snap was off to the left. But and I think it came early. I think but, I think it was uh, he snapped too early. Yeah, I'm not going to kill him. He he needs to clean that up because he's dropped a few of them now, yeah. and and that's yeah. that's that's a minor knock. That's something that's easily fixed. And but now he, he yeah, was, the defense kind of saved that one. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the kid. I'm proud of him. I can't wait. I hope he's okay. I hope he's back ready. And from all indications that you and me have both heard, he should be okay for the weight game and that that week off this week really helps the guys who are banged up. So that's a good thing. And then now let's turn to Ryan Willis for a second. Willis has been much maligned and deservedly so. We don't lose that first game if anyone else is playing quarterback. But I'll I'll give Ryan Willis credit. He comes in cold, first play, first pass, throws a touchdown. I mean, that, that was outstanding. He came in cold. You know him and him and Hazleton have a great connection anyway. But he comes right in, throws a beautiful beautiful strike in the end zone instead of all the momentum that we certainly that we started feeling he, he gets us back in the lead it was like just a just a great great throw then he got the next two possessions and things kind of went off course a little bit he was three for three for 55 yards so the numbers look okay but the big key was the two sacks those both were drive killers the big thing about the sacks was it was shades of sean glennon concrete shoes he just, I know he can run better than that. He just didn't seem and say that's enough and take off. He deserves props for, for that touchdown pass because it was important. It came at a critical time. Yeah. And yeah, and as far as Fuente, we, we all need to give him credit because he saw quickly two drives ending due to those sacks. He knew that we couldn't win that game this way because they were going to tee off on Willis. So he, he went with Patterson and whatever the reservations the coaching staff had about Patterson's readiness. They put him out there. And Patterson, we'll, we'll, I'll get to him in a second, but I want to do something that most people probably won't like. But I want to give props to offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson because I thought I thought he called a terrific game because he was facing a situation with a quarterback who truly never played. We can talk about the, the series he plays here and there, but he truly came in cold, and Cornelson called a – it was a masterful calls he made and some of the p- pass plays that Quincy had were defined reads and you got to give Quincy uh, credit for hitting those things in stride, but those, those were good calls. And he, he put Quincy in a good, comfortable position. Quincy just ran, ran with it. What's your take on, on Cornelson's games? I know we've both been critical of him, but yeah, we, yeah. Just, at, good. at this point, I'm going to tell you one thing. It's something that I've been screaming about since last year. Actually, last year, the the last two years with with JJ, Cornelson doesn't know how to call any other offense than the read option offense. He needs a big, strong, fast, dual threat quarterback. If he doesn't have that, he can't call plays. He has not a clue what to do. Well, now he should. He's got, but he's got what he needs. Yeah, now he's in his comfort zone because we got two of those guys, and suddenly things. Ever since Hooker took over in that win against Miami, 
there's just been a more hopefulness around the program, not so much just because Ryan Willis was benched. I don't, I don't mean it that way. I mean it because we, we finally see these young kids do have promise. Give them a chance. And they're, and they're, they're showing us all why they were four-star prospects and worth developing. Now we're starting to see the commentary. We're starting to see the, oh, people are noticing, oh, this is the third youngest team in the NCAA this year, uh, you know, in FBS football. Oh, oh, no wonder they're having to, you know, instead of concentrating on the fact that we were struggling, now they're like, oh, now look at what they're doing. They're actually really good. They're, they're just really young and really inexperienced. Mm-hmm. They're going to be tremendous in two in a year and in two years. And I'm like, I'm hearing, seeing these all over the internet and I'm like throwing things like, no kidding is what have we been screaming about for the last year? Everybody needs to take a breath. So what we have is, is we have this team win. We got about two minutes and 30 seconds before the next break. Let's go through some of the really great performances. Uh, Defense, early until he got an upper body injury. I'm pretty sure that was a concussion yeah, it's put out here too. He's in the protocol. Yeah, I think go with you on Farley. Everybody's seen the athletic potential since he's been here, and a lot of people don't realize he yeah, was expected to be a wide he receiver. Finally, he's yeah, learning. He finally glued it together though last night. See, the big thing was yeah, the the picks of the Miami game were one thing, but that gave him the confidence. He glued it together for the Carolina game. Yeah, I think I think a lot of fans that that watch it and they're critical of Farley don't realize that he's transitioning. This is just a second year at the position, and he's his athleticism allowed to, allowed him to make the move and jump into the starting lineup. But he's still learning the nuances of the position. He's got the potential to be a tremendous player, and people are going to remember the Florida State game because of the interception and all that, and going to remember the Miami game. But I thought the first half of football he played against North Carolina was the best football he's played since he's been here. And that's a curtain. Uh, he's just knocking time. him down constantly. It's just one after another one, just knocked down. He had in a half of play, I think maybe less than a half of play, he had four pass breakups. I mean, he yeah. was just shutting it down on his side. So we had that. Then we have Rayshard Ashby, who was absolute gold again. The guy just is a player. Chamari Connor. Ah, Armani Chapman. Chapman. Remember, Farley went down. Who had to replace him? Armani Chapman. Armani Chapman was killing it. He was. He stepped up. Big time. And that was really important because we need him to catch on. We need that third cornerback every once in a while. When the dime defense goes in, you need that third cornerback. So you had that. You have McLeese was chugging. I mean, he it wasn't like super huge numbers all the time, but he was steady. He was consistent. He was making yeah. good cuts and good reads. He was doing a good job. Yeah, let me let me just jump to McLeese. We'll get back to the defense in the next break. Let me say something about McLeese really, really quick. He just seems he's finally gotten the opportunity that he's deserved all along, and he's getting better each week. He had a sick move. I'll have to try to link that, find that um, GIF on Twitter and, and link it to our site because it was terrific. And he's he runs hard. He's a lot stronger back than people give him credit for. I really like the things he's doing. And as far as the offensive line, that's what when you play these young kids, like they got two true freshmen, Brian Hudson and Doug Nestor, who we all were excited about them, them getting. When you play these kids, just throw them in there and let them play, and they learn, they gel together. They're going to be fantastic. We're starting to see that. They're wearing teams down. They're getting better. There's a lot to be excited about with that group. Yeah. All right. Well, so we're going to go away for a commercial, and we'll be back in a minute. 
We're back from our commercial break and we still have some kudos to sing. So that's what the third break is. Just We're just going to go ahead and we've got a bye week next week. So we're just going to talk about how this team looks like it's making it's not, it's not guaranteed. We still have to go play Notre Dame, which is going to be hard. It's gonna, That's going to be a tough game. I think this team that we saw against Carolina is going to do decidedly better against Notre Dame than the team that faced Duke, okay? There's no guarantee of anything, but Notre Dame is not perfect this year. They've had some close calls, and they've had a loss, and so it's not everything that everybody's written to home to mom about, and we'll see how things go. They don't handle that big, huge quarterback read option, and I think Quincy's going to be playing. I don't think it's going to be Hendon. I think it's going to be Quincy start. Yeah, well, the thing that worries me about Notre Dame is that they have this big physical offensive line, which most of their guys end up playing on Sundays. They, they just always yeah. have a big physical. And that worries me with our inexperienced and undersized defensive line. That's a, We'll talk about that next week as we prepare for the that game. That's a concern for me. But I don't think this team's afraid of the moment, and, and, and they believe they're believing – and regardless of what anyone says right now, they're believing in the coaches, they're believing in Coach Fuente and, and everything, and that's that's important in itself. Yeah, and like we've said several times, these are Fuente's kids. People are like, oh, why aren't they playing seniors? I hear the comment, why they're not playing enough seniors and, and juniors. And it's like, we don't have seniors and juniors. We only have freshmen and sophomores. These are all Fuente's kids. All of them. These were recruited by him. They were identified by him. They weren't identified by anybody else. And these kids are out there playing football. Hey, speaking of one of the kids I want to give attention to, we were talking about the offensive line. It made me think yeah. um, at right tackle, Luke Tenuta came in. That kid is massive. I mean, oh, he looks he's like huge. A, he, look, he looks like a mountain. I mean, him and TJ Jackson are like skyscrapers. But, but no, Luke Tenuta came in at right tackle. I think he should stay there from now on. I'm not, I'm not dismissing Silas Janzi or anything, but I just loved what I saw out of Luke Tenuta at right tackle. You got the makings of a, a superior group, but Luke Tenuta came in and held his own in his first extensive playing and time. he's a freshman. <laughs> Him, Hudson, Nestor. And then you got at, at left tackle, you have Darisaw, who's a true sophomore. Yeah. And you got Jancy, who's who's the, been, been the right tackle. He's a sophomore. I mean, and they can put Silas. They can put Silas any almost anywhere on the line. He's he's been able to fill in as guard. He's been able to, so so he's going to be one of those utility linemen that's going to be really important. I think in the future, he's kind of a leadership kind of position in there too. He and Darisaw were were have been critical in stabilizing the line and getting everybody going in the same direction. I think they've finally got an, a two deep offensive line that's starting to bridge into three deep that's actually going to be really good i think vance vice is has made some good recruiting passes and he's got some good kids in the door and he's a good coach they had they trust him they love him and they're out there playing for him you know so so yeah i'd like to get some some luke tenuta sized kids in the center of the defensive line that's what i want Yep. But that's a topic of discussion after the season's over because we're going to have a new D.C. And, of course, that new D.C. is going to put his stamp on recruiting. So now here's what's uh, the next thing we really need to, to kind of hone in on, I think. And that is pull 
Willis. We were talking about it a little earlier because we got to wise. But the decision when they put in Patterson to not be afraid to do the obvious thing. Now, I know I'm not like, you know, I've been singing like, oh, you got to not do the obvious thing. You got to learn how to do not the obvious thing. Well, in this case, they didn't have that option. So when you don't have the option and you have to steal yourself to do the obvious thing and you keep pounding at it and you keep doing it, he kept getting two yards, three yards, four yards. Then, of course, bang, bang, bang. And they op- the zipper comes open. They do that kind of quarterback counter where he goes up into the hole and then cuts to the left. So he goes up behind the right tackle. And he cuts to the left, and where did he go? It was a 55-year, 52, what was it, 52-yard sprint into the end zone. And Quincy opened the throttle, and everybody was like, everybody in the press box, like, oh, my God, he's fast. So you got these guys murmuring, hey, wow, this guy's fast. He's six foot four, 245 pounds. And not only can he is he super fast. I mean, he was throwing some dimes. I think we saw the touchdown pass there, and the there one were a couple of, the, of drops. There were get a couple of frustrating drops, and that and that that's bitten Hooker before. He had um, I think it was Trey Turner. It was Trey Turner. I don't know if it was a second, third overtime. It was more of like of a post pattern around the four or five yard line, and it would have been a difficult catch. But it went off the of the, t- the fingertips of Turner. Would have been an unbelievable catch and could have ended that thing right there. But not going to kill Turner. He doesn't drop many, so but it was a no. it was a great and, throw. He and the one the he did drop wasn't it great to have him back. Now you got Hazelton and Turner. You got but, Grimsley to worry about. Now you know, they're trying are. to worry about the tight ends. Mitchell played a great game. Mitch, Mitchell went out there and caught some critical passes. We saw Dalton King getting some handoffs. And he fumbled one, but I'm I'm okay with going to him every once in a while with the handoffs because I think it keeps the defense honest. Just don't overdo it. But you know what that was? You had Quincy in there. What was that? The 2016 offense. And who was Dalton Keene playing? A certain number 45, right. Sam Rogers. So you have only, only it was the tight end superimposed on the H-back versus the fullback it superimposed on the H-back. So that was kind of imaginative, but I thought they could have maybe used I don't know why why they didn't use running backs for that situation. I, I maybe it was they were just trying to be a little tricky. I saw actually a pretty cool stat from Pro Football Focus on Tenuta as we as we talked about Tenuta. He played fifty nine snaps, all three different quarterbacks. He was not penalized once, did not allow a single pressure coming on his right side. That's a pretty impressive stat for a freshman getting his first significant playing time. Yep. I, like I said, I, I am not one ounce worried about this this offensive line anymore. Uh, it is completely turned around. Yeah, I'm not worried think... about the quarterback situation in the future, and I'm not worried about the wide receiver situation, and I'm not worried about – the only thing I'm concerned about is the running backs. I'm, I'm concerned. My concern isn't the talent on the offensive side of the ball. It's more of the um, – I don't know. I don't want to say play calling. Deployment. It's the I'm deployment schematic. of the talent. Yeah, but my my concerns still rest on the defensive side of the ball. It's still going to be what hurts us this year, but we'll we'll worry about that another time because this was a this was a one worth celebrating. And before we wrap this thing up, how about a shout out to Devin Hunter and Khalil Ladler because Devin Hunter got his first career start. I I don't think he should have been really. Yeah. I think he should get playing in the second out. I thought he did a great job. You know what? This was tough. 
that kid that they were facing, this kid is going to get drafted. The Carolina's quarterback is going to get drafted. Yeah, but we got a long way to go for that. There's a certain moxie and toughness and to that kid. He's he's going to be a good player. Yeah, yeah but, he's going to be a good player, and and they they held their own. Khalil Ladler is one of the seniors on the defense. Ladler kind of had a little issues that you know some playing issues. He got kind of passed on the depth chart. There was all these reasons for him to kind of sort of shut down and not care. Khalil Ladler had to go into the game, and what did Khalil Ladler do? He made three plays. He stepped up huge and made three absolutely perfect open field tackles for well, losses. Don't don't forget he also he's the one who also he broke up a pass in the end zone too. Yep. So Ladler, this was his probably his best game to date. I remember last year he was a, he started at the whip position last year. People were surprised yeah. he got to start, and I, and I thought. He was really good at the beginning of the year. He had some struggles later in the year, but it was good to see him out there making plays. And and Devin Hunter, I'm excited about him. I'm glad he finally got the chance to play. Really, really hoping to see more of him in the future. But they were passed on the depth chart by Shamari Connor. They, they weren't passed by some average Joe. Shamari Connor could be the best guy on this defense. Yeah. So what we're leaving with on this and the wrap for this is we're leaving with a decidedly different football team than what left the Duke game. This football team, and you're seeing stories about it out there, AP, CBS News, all the other services. You're seeing the fact that people are starting to wake up. We actually, in the SB Nation Fan Pulse poll, we actually got some votes in the top 25 in the Fan Pulse poll. So, we, you know, it, not a ton, but people are starting to realize that maybe the ship has started to right itself. It's starting to go in the right direction. And everybody needed to just calm down. Like I said, this is 2020. This is not 2019 anymore. 2019 died at the Duke game. This is, we are building this football team for 2020. And 2020, I think this team is going to be a really special football team because almost everybody's coming back. Yep, I, I agree. It's got the makings of that. Absolutely. And we want you guys to come back. So we're going to wrap this up by saying what we always say. And we're going to be back for our uh, probably, we'll probably come and, come back and talk about a couple of things in the bye week. I don't know, Brian and I will kick it around and find out some topics that would be interesting. We might even talk about basketball since basketball season's break, waking up. And maybe I can get my new writer, Nate Reynolds, to come on with us and talk some basketball. So what we're going to do is we're going to say what we always say. Go Hokies. Hokies.